This is the On The Mark Podcast, bringing you facts, opinions, and personal experiences from the outdoor industry. I got the opportunity to shoot an AR-15. That was one of the funnest experiences that I've had. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's a, it's a big rush. Presented by Sightmark, an industry leader in optics, bore sights, night vision, and more. Make your mark. Welcome to the On The Mark Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hamilton. Today, we are in the Sightmark studio. Sightmark is the sponsor to this show um, they put the whole thing together and, and make it possible for me to come in here and talk and anybody who wants to listen listen so uh, Sightmark is definitely the uh, backbone to this podcast and speaking of Sightmark today I have joining me in the studio the president of Sightmark James Sellers James how you doing this morning doing great it's great to be here I want to start off a little bit with just a little bit of background about you, where you came from, how you got started, and then we'll kind of roll that into, you know, how Sightmark got started and got sure. developed. Absolutely. But before I begin, I want to say thank you to Jeff. You've done a fantastic job. Sightmark Thanks. podcast uh, on the mark is awesome. It's engaging. It's fun. I can't wait to hear you have on next. Um, so anyway, I'm glad to be here and uh, appreciate that. Always willing and excited to share a little bit about Sightmark and, and what we we're about. So that's cool. good. Awesome. So my background, um, we could probably spend a lot of time in a deep dive on this. Um, but essentially, for those of you that don't know, I was actually born and raised in Michigan. Um, I love the outdoors. And, and since I was a young, young man, young boy, um, spending time out in the field in the forests and streams, uh, marshes and swamps and lakes and streams, all that really was part of what I was growing up. And uh, from a very young age, I always felt the most happy when I was outside. Yeah. Um, and um, from there, um, you know, had just a, I couldn't ask for a better, better childhood. I had a very inspirational father who was more like a philosopher. Yeah. Uh, who was always had principles and ideas and was talking about, you know, the Constitution and liberty and freedom. He always thought it was very, very important at a young age to shoot. Sure. And, um, so I, what was your experience? What was your first shooting experience? What was that about? Well, my first shooting experience started off really young. I grew up on a family farm um, about an hour south of here where I still live That's currently. Awesome. Yeah. And um, it was one of those things that we just always hunted and had guns around. I was taught from an early age, um, you know, how to handle firearms safely. I think I knew the four main rules to gun safety before I knew most other like <laughs> principles that children know it's like the yeah. other kids in school thought i was weird because i knew like weird things like that um but it. my first experience was <clears throat> just my little red rider 22 or uh, my little red rider bb gun just pumping that thing up and shooting at bottle caps and anything i could um well actually i mean it depends on what you consider because i also grew up with those little uh now and day they i don't even know if they still make them but the little uh, revolver pop guns that oh, look super realistic. Th they used to have the the magazines. Yeah, and yeah, that was awesome. You, the, I had the one that the bail flipped over, and you could put the little pop, the little circular pops in, yep. and it would actually make a bang when you fired it. Yeah, those or, were the toys that we played with growing up. The realer, the better at that time. Yeah, exactly. And now it's kind of like, oh, we need to make everything orange and green, and make sure it doesn't look any type of realistic. Exactly. Which I, I I I get it in a sense, but at the same time, like kids like to experience those types of things um they want to be like dad and they want to be yeah. they want to be like these people that they strive and and see full-grown adults do um so i think there's some merit to you know allowing children to play with these types of things and also teach them while they're doing it like hey we're not going to point these at people we're going to shoot at yeah. objects and I agree. targets you know um, my son is two, and I'll tell you right now, my son, within the last month, has started experiencing Nerf guns. They're and fun. And he yeah. loves them. But I'll tell you that, like, the biggest thing for him to learn is, like, we're not going to shoot at people right now because he doesn't yeah. understand that concept. So it's just don't point that at me. Don't point that at your mom. If he does, <laughs> he gets it taken away, yeah. and he gets upset about it. We're only going to shoot your dinosaurs, right? 
He loves it. You know, it doesn't matter. We didn't if we didn't have Nerf guns. We we were making guns in our workshops out of wood. <laughs> yeah. We used our fingers. We find a stake in the woods. Boys are just naturally inclined. Yeah, that way, the little so. rubber band guns with the. Yeah, those, yeah. those were always. I always wanted. I always wanted to buy one of those. I never had a rubber band gun. Oh, uh, what? we used to you make our own, but I never got the ones at the fair with the little. Yeah, you're gonna have um, a rubber gun. Safe, you're gonna have one soon. I, I guarantee you, because you can't go through life without a rubber band gun. I think it's time. We'll I think I, I have a lot of other type of guns. I think I need that one. I think we've got some industry connections that could hook that up. That'd be good. <laughs> I was waiting for a 50 cal. It's like on my wish list, but I think we need the rubber band gun first. <laughs> yeah, it, that's more attainable. Uh, and less expensive to shoot. That's true. That's true. Maybe. <clears throat> so diving back to you, you talked about your your dad for a little bit and how he yeah. was kind of your inspiration. Now, um, your dad, as I understand, and I didn't know until recently, um, was actually heavily involved in a major serial rebrand, right? True, yeah. Um, he actually uh, went to New York after he graduated um, from graduate school. He had an MBA from Michigan, mm -hmm. University of Michigan. And he got to work for Post in their new product development team. And one of the products they launched and he developed was Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles. No kidding. So he's probably a part of the uh, childhood obesity pandemic that we have in our, <laughs> our country. But, yeah. you know, when he came home uh, or when, when I was growing up, he couldn't stand the thought of sugar cereals being in the home. Yeah. You know, but he also worked on Grape Nuts, which is a healthy cereal, too. Yeah. So um, he uh, he actually is very adamant about the importance of like healthy eating because he saw how the big food industry right. worked. But yeah. I gotta tell you, Fruity Pebbles is delicious. It's they are delicious. I mean, it's sugar in a bowl. And it, honestly, if you look it's at- very addictive. If you look at most, I say most, if you look at a lot of breakfast choices just to grab and go or to consume quickly, it's like all sugar-based. And that's one yeah. of the things my I've struggled with myself is like, I'm, I'm a three meal a day guy. Like the people who skip breakfast, I have trouble operating that way. You got to eat breakfast. I, I yeah. honestly think someone American not eating breakfast. Yeah. So, um, you know, I struggle with like being able to get something quick that's also healthy and go. Um, I found some Jimmy Dean breakfast like cups where you just crack an egg in them and put throw it in the microwave. And it's awesome. Much better alternative uh, for anybody that might be watching. That Jimmy Dean breakfast bowls. And then Jimmy Jean is going to be a sponsor to this show after this, probably. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be <laughs> great. Um, next time we'll have breakfast here mm -hmm. for coffee. Um, um, you know, one thing I was going to mention, you know, in the early days um, with with wanting to – I was fascinated by firearms. Um, I used to get the Small Arms Review, and it was like this giant book, and it had every – had like an annual – yeah. like every rifle yeah. I think ever created. And I would study that. I thought it was fascinating. Um but uh, I learned how to shoot also at a very young age. Yeah. My grandfather um, and, and father both uh, would teach me marksmanship. And the funny thing is, as a kid, they thought it was very important to learn just iron sights. Sure. Just yep. basic, mm -hmm. you know, discipline, trigger discipline. Um, and so I learned kind of the fundamentals uh, that way. And um, I always wanted to have optics on my rifles. I always yeah. dreamed of, yeah. uh, looked at scopes, and thought, oh, I could shoot a mile with this yeah. thing. It'd be great. So that was always something I really wanted to do. Um, but I really wasn't, uh, that was not uh, available to me. So maybe that drove my passion. Of, maybe drove you I want optics on my rifle. Yeah. I got to have it. It's funny um, you say that because um, my both my father and my grandfather would not put an optic on a 22 or a 3030. And so both of those calibers, any in either of their gun safes, would never have an optic on it. They were like, these are iron sight guns. It's what we need to shoot. Um, you know, and then like the other, like more like a two, our 243 bolt action rifle, they have a scope on that, but everything else was going to be like straight iron sights. Yeah. But I remember going to the gun shop, actually it was a bait shop, probably fishing shop primarily, but they also had ammo and some yeah. rifles in there and on uh, Northern Michigan. And we used to go fishing and used to go hunting. So I used to, or used to go shooting. We used to go there and get those 22s. Uh, I think they were like 25 cents or 50 cents a box. Yeah. Uh, back in the, those days. Um, but I remember looking through the scope and just being hooked. I was like, man, this is so cool. You can you can see so much more detail. Yeah. Shot placement gets better. Right. You know, it's so awesome. Um, but yeah, I didn't get, in, it was much, much later. I don't know if I started shooting regularly with optic until I was out of college. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, so how, so how did that, how did that turn into Sightmark? Well, I think that, um, you know, a couple of things that kind of again resonated, um, you know, I mentioned that I grew up in the outdoors and enjoyed 
just basically in the morning I'd wake up, I'd put a, I remember when I was really little, I'd put a compass. Mm-hmm. I'd have a little canister, the plastic canister for 35 millimeter with a bunch of matches in it, yeah. just in case. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. And I'd have this little tiny, you know, Swiss Army with like yeah. five, it was like the five option Swiss yeah. Army. I yeah. never had the cool one. You got the little scissors that doesn't cut anything. I don't even think I had the scissors. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I, it was the small one, yeah. the five different things. And then, of course, you know, again, I was upset. I never had the 101 tool one, the one that's like giant. Right. Never yeah. had that. But anyway, so I get up in the morning, grab very few things. And sometimes I grab my, my, my 22 rifle, which was my, um, I guess my father got it from his uncle when he grew up on a farm. So I go out and have the 22. If we come across rats at the junkyard or whatever, shoot those. And we'd shoot. I actually go in the woods and shoot a lot of bottles. Yeah. Back in Michigan, the hunters used to go out there with a bottle of whiskey, yeah. sit underneath the tree, yeah. and they'd come. They'd come back if they shot a deer or yep. the whiskey was gone. Yep. So I would shoot these 18 late 1800s vintage <laughs> bottles, which I found an hour worth hundred dollars. Yeah, piece. probably bottles. I now probably that... blew a million dollars worth of bottles <laughs> as a kid. But uh, it did help marksmanship. And when the bottles started running out, I started shooting you know bottle caps and yeah. everything else. Um, but yeah, those were really great times. And the, you know, I think the thing is, is like young men, young boys especially, they really need an opportunity to be men or yep. learn to be men. And I think, you know, for a lot of children now are growing up in suburbs, they're growing up in cities, and they just don't get an opportunity. So one of the things that I wanted to do is I, I wanted to do something that would help continue our outdoor tradition and then you know spark that imagination of a, of right. a child whether they're at a range in, in, in the urban area it doesn't matter whether they're out shooting skeet or they're going out hunting i just want people to have that desire to go do that and experience that so they can have just a little bit of that now I'll, I'll tell you another thing too you know for me when i was young i mean, I mean don't mind sharing i wasn't strong at ac- academically i had dyslexia sure. um i found school difficult i was very interested in in books and, and things but it just was difficult right i really wasn't um, the type of kid that just want to sit in a classroom all day, sure. had to sit still and listen to somebody lecture to me. Sure. It just wasn't my thing. So the outdoors was my great escape. Mm-hmm. That was where my mind would, would go free and I'd imagine you know, great things and, and really built my character. Sure. Um, I, I think it wasn't for the outdoors. I don't, I don't think I would have amounted to much yeah. because early on in my academic career, it looked like it was going nowhere. Well, and it seems like we've, I've heard similar stories about people who just naturally flourished in the outdoors uh just the environment of it um and then academically like they just weren't tuned into um you know school or they just really like when they were in class their mind was somewhere else their mind was out hunting like or just walking around with their gun shooting and in their mind that's always on their mind Um, what I identify that is, is finding your passion very early on Mm -hmm. as to where in some other cases you have people that will be very highly, highly educated with, um, a lot of success in the education system, but all the way up until after college and they still have not found any type of passion. And what ends up happening is they just go do some job that they don't have a drive it's, to do. Yeah. And that happens so much. It's a huge issue. I, I will, I mean, you know, Site Mark, if it could just play a small role in, in getting young boys and girls yeah. having a chance to, to be proficient and good and trusted and confident with something, it's huge. Yeah. And I would really love that. I would, I would stress anybody that's got, especially boys, boys aren't designed to sit inside a classroom at a desk all day. We're just not wired that way. Yeah. If you have a young boy, get them outside. Yep. It doesn't matter if they're hunting or shooting or just walking or hiking or riding bikes or playing sports, get them outside, they yep. need that. And if it really wasn't for the outdoors, I don't think I, I would have ever found something that I felt like connected to, accomplishing and passionate about. Sure. And that passion mm-hmm. did end up driving me to continue to work hard. You know, you learn things by being outdoors, you learn how to solve problems and figure things out and keep going and enduring. And that's the same skills that you need. You do, we do need education, it's very important. Yeah. And um, I always joke with everybody, so if I, if I was, give me enough time, I'd probably get a PhD and I'd be like writing books. Yeah. But um, I did end up getting a master's degree um, in business with a desire to develop technologies. Sure. So um, that ended up culminating with uh, kind of a background in business and, and and technology development with the idea of to do it with something. Originally, I wanted to go in the defense industry. It's probably because I loved farms. I thought yeah. that would be really great. Yeah. Um, another kind of funny tidbit, 
I couldn't get hired in the defense industry without an engineering undergraduate. Really? Yeah, everybody wanted <laughs> to see a mechanical or electrical or, or you know something like that. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my background. Before I started SiteMark, I was working um, for a controls company, a manufacturer, controls based in the U.S. Um, and I saw the power of a good product culminating with good people dedicated to a, a cause. So, um, but you know what? Everything's need-based. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, companies are successful is because they found an opportunity in the marketplace where people weren't getting what they needed. Right. And ultimately, that's kind of the, the birth of SiteMark was in the notion of what I felt like was a missed opportunity outdoor space. And again, you gotta look at the early 2000s, mm -hmm. um, late 1990s. Yeah. Um, it's a different environment than it's today. And if people go back and think about what was happening, then it's extremely different landscape. Right. So, um, I don't know, how, were you shooting in the, tw in the early 2000s? Were you still? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Do you remember how the industry was kind of afraid of the AR-15? <sighs> yes. Um, within a sense, I was still pretty young then. Um, and my family had not ventured into the AR-15 space yet. Um, so we, we had a bunch of traditional hunting rifles, your bolt actions, your lever actions, um, and stuff like that. That was primarily what we used. But I remember the stigma that was attached and frankly still is attached in some yeah. ways to the AR-15, even though today it's the most commonly purchased firearm platform on the yeah. market. Um, so but it's so interesting. I wasn't I wasn't as involved at that point. I was actively shooting, but not as involved with the industry uh, yeah. just because of because of the age issues. But um, I was actively shooting. Yeah. yeah, I think some of it was related to the assault weapons ban. Um, I think because I believe that was eighty seven, right? Mm -hmm. Assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. So that that was as a result of the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan and the mm -hmm. injury to. Um, Brady, was it this? Anyway, um, one of the people that was with Ronald Reagan got mm -hmm. injured and they passed the assault weapon ban yeah. uh, in his memory, which you know was a very emotional time for the country. Um, and yet today they can't even define what an assault weapon is. <laughs> yeah, it's very bad. <laughs> yeah, any time, our whole constitution was designed to protect us from passing laws in an emotional state. Yeah. Um, you know, our founders knew that was a big issue. Most of the, the worst laws ever uh, passed were knee-jerk reactions knee -jerk to reactions. something and yeah, the absolutely. badly thought out that were ill-defined. So that was one of them. We yeah. never even defined what that, that right. was like. But I think in that time, like, I was very interested in, in you know, um, modern mm -hmm. rifles. And the most, you know, exposure we had to the road rifles at that time were what the military was using, M16, you yeah. know, since Vietnam. And, um, you know, and you had in the 90s when we had the first Iraq uh, involvement in the 2000s, we had a continued involvement after 2001, Afghanistan and, and Iraq. Yeah. And, you know, all these soldiers would come home familiar with shooting the M16 platform and other military type rifles. And it's everybody in, if you look at the history and time forever in hunting, mm -hmm. we always chase technology. Yeah. Technology often starts uh, to be adapted and tested and improved for right. a battlefield. Yep. And then if it works better, guess what? That's what everybody wants. Right. And uh, you really couldn't beat the versatility of the R15. Yeah. Um, it is very effective and efficient. Um, it is a very easy to use, um, safe. You know, it doesn't, um, you know, accuracy and, and safety are very important. Yeah. And I think that people saw how the potential of that when it was popularized and a lot of folks started um, using it for their recreational uses, that was unknown to the industry. The industry was totally marketing, bolt action, right. traditional hunting. Yeah. And um, so that was the, that really was the environment that Mark was in. Um, we, so we, we took a hard look at that and we're like, okay, this Era 15 is really amazing. It is right. fun to shoot. It's really inexpensive to make. It's mm -hmm. a lot less expensive to make than a traditional bolt action with the, yep. with the heavy barrels and, and the, the heavy stocks. Um, it's very versatile. It's it's easy to put rails on it. Actually, at that time, the rails weren't that common, right, which was one yeah. of the problems. You, you had handles, and you had to yeah. put a handle mount. Yeah, you on had the, the big hand guards that covered up. Yeah, eighty percent of the barrel. So, yeah, yeah. Back in the early days, like we wanted to do all the accessorizing, like the people that came back um, from Iraq and Afghanistan were using. We wanted to bring that so people could go shoot targets and experience the state of the art. Right. Anyway, so 
ultimately Sightmark was really about taking that new technology and the new way of shooting and bringing it to the, to the masses. Sure. And um, one of the things that we felt that was important in the beginning is, oh, the AR-15 is a really great versatile too. How do we make it better? Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you put a rifle scope on it, which is great, but rifle scopes are, you know, the Remington 700 ground. That's like yep. for long distance shooting and accuracy. Um, but wouldn't it be really cool if you could have a, you know, what's the traditional, most traditional rifle scope out there, hunting rifle scope, what, what magnification oh, range? I don't know, three to nine? Three to nine, there you go. Three to nine is great, versatile, you shoot 100, 200 yards, no yeah. problem, right? But for an AR-15, it can go everything from really quick acquisition to right. long distance shooting. Yep. So what what's the solution there for a rifle scope? You want a 1X to something. Yeah. Um, so we started working in that direction, thinking, you know, it'd be really cool to have a rifle scope that's designed for quick acquisition shooting and long distance accuracy. So that'd be an unpopular thing. We also went and looked at what was in the stores. And it's interesting because you'd see like the kids um, using red dots. Yeah. And they would be on BB guns and airsoft guns. They were terrible. They, right. The accuracy was not good. There were some that people would use for like Turkish turkey shooting, mm -hmm. just basic old red dots. And then you had like companies like EOTech and Aimpoint from yeah. Sweden, which are really high-end military designed, very, very expensive. Yeah. And that wasn't the reach of the, you know, the masses. You know, yeah. Again, Sidemark, we really wanted to be something that would get people into shooting and hunting and you know, make that a passion, feed that. The average person. The, yeah, yeah, well, I'll say that there's nothing, there's the exceptional person, gotcha. which is to me, the person that wakes up every day, mm -hmm. goes to work, puts in a solid day's work, saves their money, come home, have a family, mm -hmm. and then they, 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 they struggle, they work hard, they try to be the best parents they can be, they help you know the kids with their homework, they make sure they have you know clothes and food on the table, they work for what they have. To yeah. me, America is about people that work for what they have. Yeah. So I wasn't really worried about providing optics mm -hmm. to the people that didn't have to work. Right. And that's not my, interesting to me. Right. If money is no object, yeah. Then go play with the military stuff. Right. Go do that. Yeah. You know what? I'd rather get the guy that's going to get it, love it, be passionate about it, and sure. use it. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you, there's a lot of folks out there that have gun safes full of stuff they don't use. Yeah. I want people to use our stuff. Right. So, and you know, so that was the kind of a, again a foundation of, of the brand. Sure. Um, so we're looking at the red dot. So the red dot to me was completely open. Yeah. Nobody was really doing that at that time. Um, the, the brands that did have red dots, it was an afterthought. They didn't innovate it. It's mm -hmm. the same old thing that's been around since the eighties. Um, so <clears throat> Sightmark, we, we thought that there's an opportunity to innovate in red dots. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I guess that's one of the first things that we made a decision. We, there was an early time we were around a table and we're looking at different prototypes. We actually brought some people that we knew that are hunters and shooters yeah. and we laid out some of these prototypes and we're looking at what's on the market. We're like, gosh, guys, we can, we can really change this industry. We yeah. can bring red dots and popularize them because someday if the AR-15 is popular, the number one optic on a red dot or on an AR-15 is gonna be a red dot. Yeah, sure. So um, we made a pledge and promise that we were gonna develop the ultimate red dot. Yeah. And it was gonna be the best red dot that's ever been produced for consumers not using government funding. Sure, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was another thing. Everything that we did, man, talking about work hard and scra scrappers, we had the best team. Yeah. We worked hard. We didn't have any government money. We had no con government contracts. So let's talk about that though real yeah. quick. So Sightmark, started back in was it 2007 it officially launched in 2007 yeah um we started working early on some concepts um before the brand existed well, yeah, but y'all started off with like uh it was like bore sites were like really the driving force behind well, the brand for a yeah, while there wasn't so it? we we actually t we had bore sites on the market and um i think it was originally launched in the AccuDot mm -hmm. um name which we still use this day for sure. a newer series I don't think, I think it was first on the market without Sightmark. I'm pretty sure it was not branded in the beginning. Gotcha, okay. And the reason and the reason for that was fairly simple is because I am one of those people, maybe it's my dyslexia, but I'm one of those people that I get so frustrated when I want to go hunt and shoot. And yeah. my, my, again, I'm an iron sights guy. Yeah. So I didn't grow up sighting in scopes, yeah. but nothing frustrated me more than try to get a scope on a rifle. Mm. It takes too dang long, you right. know, and I shoot up too much ammo and then yeah. all of a sudden I have to, schedule hours to do it and get a bunch of more ammo blow mm -hmm. my budget out of the water so yeah. again if we're gonna make this popular for everybody we want to make it fun where they can get the gun sighted in and they can go out and start shooting and enjoy themselves absolutely so i thought you know this foresight idea was great and then you know the idea of putting a laser inside the cartridge yeah 
it made it and then we we innovated on that too because there are some people that, that that had other concepts in the market but they weren't that great the right. quality was all over the place so but we also again we went in and make it where everybody could have a bore sight in their bag. Sure. Um, originally, bore sights were anywhere from like seventy nine to hundred bucks for one of these bore sights. Mm -hmm. And um, again, if you're paying, you know, two, three, four bucks for a box of ammo back in those days, that's a lot. Yeah. I'd rather just shoot an extra box of ammo. Yeah. So we decided that we wanted to, you know, if you look at premium ammo back in, the, in those times, you know, it's like twenty to forty bucks if you're getting like t really good ammo. So That'd we thought. Nice. We could get a board. What? I said that'd be nice. Yeah. I'd like to go back to that to that time. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, that's definitely true. So definitely now, I mean, everybody, if you don't have a bore sight out there, you, you need a bore sight. Um, and if, if you do need a bore sight, check out the site mark AccuDots. Um, the thing about bore sights that you might not be aware of is it's actually the laser diode that's inside of the casing. Um, one thing that makes the AccuDots a little bit different than everything else is we actually use, I think it's like seven, um, I'm going to say set screws, for lack of a better word, pins yeah. that hold that in place. And some of our competitors don't do that. And what you can do Close is the door. roll test. Yeah. Put it on a table, roll it. If that laser has any movement at all, it's not going to be as accurate. And I guarantee the sight mark AccuDot yeah. bore sights are going to be are going to be the best Spot on. yeah no absolutely it's if you're looking for you actually if you don't have one you should be looking for one because yeah. it's that useful of a tool um you're right the manufacturing process we went back and, and we looked at that and the way we end up solving that is we end up basically creating barrel analogs mm -hmm. so every one of our bore sites gets put into a barrel nice. and then it gets put into a test grid nice. and all those set screws you're talking about yeah that's how we get the diode perfectly centered to the theoretical impact point of every caliber awesome so yeah. when you get it, it's tested and, and to perform. Yeah. And actually another thing too with that is um, we also knew that there's a lot of people that there's a lot of change, you know, there's new calibers, there's like exotic, older calibers. Sure. So we wanted to, we actually have to this day the, the most specific caliber available. So that was one of the things that we worked really hard on in the beginning. Yeah. But we also knew that some folks have 20, 30 different rifles and right. they do it's all this different ammo. Yeah. So. We, we actually, one of the first patents, the first patent we ever had was for a magnetic attaching um, universal bore sight, yeah. and, um, which was awesome. And then I think we're in the first people, I think civilian-wise, we were the first people to do a green laser. Gotcha. So you could sight in actually, actually at 100 yards, yeah. which was insane. Right. So you didn't have to do a 10, 10 foot, you know, you can actually do it 100 yards where you're shooting. So yeah. that was even more accurate. Sure. So to this day, we offer full complement. We still have you know, patented uh, technology that allows for attachments to the to the barrels, make it even easier and faster. We have green lasers now that allow you to sight in 100 yards. Right. Um, you know, so. so. So we go from bore sights and being super successful with those into. The red dots. and Into the red yeah. dots. And it took us a while. Yeah. You know, one of the things is that people don't understand is there was no civilian comparable product in the market. We came out with the best quality product that was on the market and we did that for years. Then the market, everybody saw what we're doing. Everybody saw what they were doing. And you went shot show a few years later and it was insane how many red dots started showing up with the optics companies. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they started showing the AR-15. And you know, once we kind of <clears throat> broke the stigma of showing AR-15s and people having fun yeah. shooting and stuff, yeah. uh, everybody jumped the bandwagon. Um, and uh, you know, honestly, competition's a great thing to make us bring in our A game. Sure. So it was really probably recently five or six years ago mm -hmm. we sat down with our head engineer was john the horton and um i was like jonathan um it's time we always talked about making the perfect red dot yeah let's do it and um at that time we we perfected the optic manufacturing mm -hmm. that really eliminated parallax as good as the military stuff yeah we don't really advertise that right because people won't believe it but right. anyway so we, we we really came out with the best optical system I think ever devised it's so accurate it's so awesome and then we were able to do it on a mass scale yeah. which got again uh, made a value that nobody can match and then with the ultra shot series which you actually have one on, on the kind of the latest and greatest oh, yeah. of that version but yeah. that gave birth and rise to to the state of the art red dot which i still say this this red dot platform is second to none yeah um and if you haven't shot the ultra shot so if you're watching this podcast oh, shot them 
Oh, yeah. People out there. People out yeah. there, if you no, haven't I shot it. I was going to say, I, I've shot them. You've got, you got to get out and see it. It's it's a joy to shoot. We have, like, this crisp, bright reticle mm-hmm. um, that works even the sunlight. If you're in, even if you're in, like, Sahara Desert, we have a model that has a sun shield on it yep. and a brightness setting. If you can't see the target, you, you need to get glasses or yep. something. So. Yep. And, and <laughs> fast forward to today, I mean, just like the products are constantly changing and getting better, industry tre- industry trends are changing and right now what's become wildly popular is actually putting optics on handguns and uh, here, yeah sidemark has i mean just in the last two years gotten really aggressive with coming out with um perfect red dots for a handgun um whether it's full-size pistol or a compact pistol i mean we've got options for almost anything now yeah. so it is actually awesome i think we're beginning to see you know it's kind of like the rifles when i was a kid only a handful of people shot scopes. Right. And I think red uh, pistols, probably very few people have red dots and pistols. But now I go to a range, yeah. I see more and more shooting with red dots. Yeah. I think once people get a chance to see how much faster mm-hmm. and more accurate they can be, yeah. um, it takes the guesswork out of it. Yep. And uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I think Sightmark's team's done fantastically great yeah. uh, at the pistol uh, red dots. And, you know, we're working closer with the manufacturers to make sure that. Uh, we when their products come out, we have the best red dot for it. Sure. So, um, if you're looking for something new in pistols, a good chance that Mark's working on oh yeah um, red dots for products that aren't on the market yet. Yeah, absolutely. That may be true. We'll see what happens. Let's um, let's switch gears a little bit All because right. there are some topics here that I want to get to, um, and the first one's just going to be um, with the amount of people that have joined the industry in the last two years, and um, you know some of the new laws that have been passed, um, which have been very good um, Mm -hmm. steps for the second amendment i'm talking about like the texas constitutional carry law um which is not a abnormal law i think we joined 20 other states when we passed that law so it's a pretty it's a pretty common thing but it's a success for the second amendment um one of the things that i want to talk about is with all these new people flocking to the industry Part of that's because of COVID. Part of that's because they're just scared of the environment now that's been created with all the riots and lawlessness that's been allowed to happen. Firearm safety is something that will always be used against the firearms industry from the people who oppose it. Um, Constitutional carry pass. Well, now you don't have to take training to be able to carry a gun. There's going to be more accidents. Um, there's going to be less safe storage. There's going to be that's what that's what the argument is. Sure, absolutely. Since we know what the attack and the arguments are going to be, what are some things that we can do to try and just help each other make sure that we're adhering to good firearm safety to keep yeah. not only ourselves but everybody else around us safe and just keep that wolf at the door of like, right? You know, I mean, there's going to be incidents that happen, but yeah, you're right. We've got to be Absolutely. proactive. I, I think, again, you know, the problem, the, you make a really good statement, or you, you're, you're, what you're talking about is freedom comes with responsibility. Right. If you want freedom, you have to be responsible. Sure. And the problem is that these, again, it's, once you limit or curtail a freedom, it's almost impossible to get it back. Yes. Once they take it, it's gone forever. And right. the fact that we're seeing Texas <clears throat> kind of rolling back uh, infringements on yeah. the Second Amendment is actually pretty extraordinary. But with freedom comes responsibility, and that starts, that's honestly starts at the home. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, our families need a better job of introducing young people sure. to firearms at an early age. Yeah. They need to teach them how to operate the farm, how to store a farm, how to, you know, the ins and outs. Yeah. So if your son comes over to a friend's house mm-hmm. and they don't practice safe, proper safety, right? The, there's a farm not secured and safe. All right, first of all, if you have kids, lock the guns up, mm-hmm. uh, keep them secure. I understand that you're, you, you might not live in the, the most safe place or you might uh, feel like you, you need that farm. Just do it safely, right. keep it locked up. Right. Um, Kids are naturally curious. Yeah. And, yeah. Th- at a, you know, we're instinctively hunters, right, and warriors at, at heart. So, sure. um, you know, children are children because they haven't learned yet. Yeah. But the parents are the ones that have the responsibility. So first, foremost, parents need to be 
Um, if you're going to have kids around and stuff, whether yours or not, you know, put the firearms up. But if you teach your kids how to use a firearm, they're going to be a lot less likely to get hurt by a firearm that's being not used or stored properly. So yeah, absolutely. I would say start with that. I think getting kids outdoors shooting and be proficient is also important because it teaches responsibility. Nothing tells a child that you value them and trust them than in giving them an opportunity to learn how to use a firearm. Yeah. So I think that's important. Um, you know, and I think the other thing too is like, we got to, we got to expand beyond our household. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if willing, if you have, you know, um, friends, family members, uh, nieces, nephews, uh, you know, if your wife doesn't shoot, if yeah. you, you know, whatever, take them out with you, right. Enjoy the outdoors with them, do it in a fun, safe way. And, sure. and please, for the folks that are teaching somebody to shoot for the first time, don't put out a 308 the first time they shoot. Yeah, Give right. them a 22 right. or a 223 even. Give them something they're going to enjoy. Yeah, make it yeah. fun. I know it's funny sometimes to yeah. watch somebody yeah. uh, with an elephant gun fire the first round. But you know what You know what happens? turns them off. You know what happens is you have like, I, I don't remember, like two years ago, there was a, I think it was CNN reporter, went to the gun range first time. He was doing an investigative or like opinion piece. So he went to the gun range to shoot a firearm and I think they gave him they gave him an AR-10. I don't know what the caliber was, but an AR-10 is going to be a larger caliber. Yeah. The dude shot it first time ever shooting a rifle. Some of it might have been theatrics. Yeah. But he said it was absolutely terrifying, scariest thing he's ever done. And I'm like, yeah. well, his parents what? failed him first yeah. and foremost. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then he's it probably was a hit piece. He was set up for failure from the beginning, though. <laughs> it was a hit piece. But if that same scenario happens, though, where people say. You know what? I'm ready to start shooting. I, I want to get a deer hunting rifle, and somebody hands them a 308, and it's the first thing they've ever shot. Right. And you're like, Yeah, I will okay say to take little baby yeah. steps. You know, first time I shot a deer rifle was a 30 out six. Yeah, and it was awesome. I loved yeah. it. It was great. But um, but you have to have know how to shoot. Right. You know, I knew how to hold it properly and brace yep. myself, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that's important. The other thing is, I think we have some image work to do you know this is the age of of taking the worst case scenario and publicizing it right um i'll tell you this too the people i know that own firearms people that hunt and shoot mm-hmm. are the best people i've ever met yeah if you need somebody to help you out in a tough situation if your car's broken down if you need somebody to help you with a problem they're going to be the ones that step up first and take care of it yep. and i know there's a lot of fine people out there that don't hunt and shoot but generally speaking i have I don't know if I've ever met somebody that hunted shooted that wasn't good people. Right. I just haven't. Yeah. So um, for what that's that's worth, we need to be keeping that in mind when we are enjoying our freedoms. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yes, we have open carry in Texas. Um, and I think there's times where that's appropriate to your own, it's your own business, your own house, your mm-hmm. own land. Um, of course, you could always go up and carry there. Right. Um, I prefer concealed carry. And I'll tell you why. I think concealed carry is better when criminals, criminals, do not know who's armed, who's not. Sure. And also, if somebody is wanting to do harm or is unstable, I don't want them to be able to reach a firearm. I right. just think it's better to keep it hidden. It right. keeps all the cards, um, you know, on your side. So I would recommend, you know, because there's people out there that never seen a firearm, or there's also people cultural, culturally that live in some very awful crime-ridden neighborhoods right. where the only people that have firearms are criminals, yep. and they're, they're doing terrible things with them. And guess what? They can't legally own a firearm anyway. Right. But they have them. So let's let's try to teach people that firearms mean responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's don't flaunt it. Let's don't try to excite and anger people. Um, you know, let's be good stewards of firearms. If there's an issue or a problem, yep. you know, rise up the occasion, we'll solve it. But let's all go looking for trouble. Well, and that's the thing with the, with the constitutional carry uh, here in Texas, it does allow for both open and concealed carry and I'm of the same mindset of you of it needs to be concealed I I carry open carry sometimes when I hunt but that's on my own private property for the most part Um, other than that it's concealed and the reason is same thing I don't want to paint an unnecessary target on me if there is going to be an active shooter in a public space I don't want to be the first person he points out because he can clearly see I'm armed uh, they're yep. going to take out the biggest threats to them first, and it doesn't make any sense to not give yourself the element of surprise Absolutely. if you have the opportunity to do so. Yep. So that's my whole mindset of it. Of course, I've made a Facebook post about that same thing yeah. uh, recently. 
about and the, everybody attacks on Facebook, here, whether they agree with it or not. But here's the thing: I think that the people that are yeah, I think people are gonna people are gonna be upset at me for saying that they should not, you know, they shouldn't carry concealed mm -hmm. rather than um, open carry. But the reason why I think it's important to have an open carry law is that we have so many laws that if somebody doesn't like your political ideology, they can find any law and they yep. can take away your rights, lock you up, fine you, you know, all this stuff. So in the past, people, you you have a concealed carry. You take off your jacket. All of mm a -hmm. sudden, it's exposed. Right. You now are committed crime. Yeah. You did nothing wrong. Right. So I agree that they shouldn't criminalize that. Right. Um, and I also agree that it's better to, you know, it's better to give the person, you know, a free pass, um, you know, until the point they committed a crime. I don't believe that you punish people for crimes they didn't commit. I don't think it's right to take innocent, law-abiding citizens and treat them like criminals. Sure. So I totally agree with why they're decriminalizing and making rights of ours, restoring that to the people. Absolutely. Um, but we need to be responsible if we want to keep them. And then we want to bring more people into our industry, yeah. into our lifestyle, into our culture. Be the person that you would want to go shooting with when you're hunting for the first yeah, time. absolutely. And I'll also say another thing too, for all the, the folks that we have some great dealers out there, mm -hmm. the dealers are very, very important in spreading the word yeah. about firearm safety and yes. responsibility. Demystify the purchase process, especially for a new person. Yep. I know it's, it's frustrating when people don't know a, a, a semi-automatic from a revolver, from a rifle, from a shotgun, and they don't know even which direction. But you got to treat them like a customer and yeah. try to educate them and make them feel welcome. Yep. It's been one of my biggest rants is people are hesitant to go into gun shops. And they're hesitant to go to the range. They're hesitant to go shooting with people that they're unfamiliar with because they're worried that they don't know as much as the guy sitting next to them yep. and they don't want to look stupid and feel dumb and be treated that way. Yep. And if we can kind of eliminate that feeling as much as just by being reasonable humans to one another and understanding yeah. like, Hey, this person's just starting. I can help them out and teach them what I know yep. and not belittle them. If we can do that collectively as a community, we'll get more people within the firearms industry Absolutely. that enjoy it and actually create a little bit better of a community for us. But what's interesting yeah. is you just taught, you just said that um, you're kind of you're you're against obviously taking law-abiding citizens and criminalizing them for no reason. Um, yeah. Somebody tried to sneak some red flag laws into the 2022 National Defense Authorization Bill. Um, the red flag laws, this particular set of red flag laws, were targeted towards military. Um, yeah, Seriously. ex military. Yeah. And basically what they're saying is once you've left the military, you're then subject to have your guns removed. If anybody decides to flag you with these red flag laws, hmm. the I argument have, being what, I mean, is this in, in Congress now or it's is in it? Congress now? Yeah. This is scary stuff. Okay. It's very scary. And what it's, for one, there's the civilian side of red flag laws, which have existed in other states for a while. I'm against those as well, because I think it's very wrong to criminalize somebody before they've ever committed a crime. Right. Um, there are obviously safety issues, safe storage issues. Like if somebody walks over to somebody's house and he's got guns laying out all over the living room, and he's got a four-year-old running around. Maybe. Okay. That's, yeah. Like, but it's that person's responsibility to take care of their, their children and their home, right? Um, my problem comes in to play when we talk about red flag laws, both on a civilian side and a military, ex-military side. One, targeting ex-military just tells me that we've trained these guys to use firearms and we don't want them to own firearms once they are under once they are out from underneath our control hey, this sounds like a science fiction movie this hey, is it insane. does kind of right it's yeah. it's it's honestly that scary but uh, for the civilian side of things you know red flag laws are scary as well and it all comes down to are they successful within reason and how do you gain how do you gauge that success to me a red flag law can only be successful if there's due process the problem comes into play is like okay what is due process and who gets to decide what that is right currently we have a administration that is anti-gun mm -hmm. pushing very strong anti-gun narratives we've got the atf proposing some weird point system for pistols that is completely open-ended where 
literally, if somebody did a, if somebody tried to red flag me, the ATF could come into my home, look at my guns, use this weird proposal that has not been passed yet, but if it was passed, could look at any of my AR pistols and say, okay, well, um, you have a red dot on here, so you got a point for that. Oh, you got a foregrip on here, wow. you got a point for that. This yeah. stock could be shouldered, so you get a point for that. And four points, you've committed a felony at that point. Yeah, I... And so it's like, that to yeah. me is not appropriate due process. Like, if it opens up the door for you to literally be attacked by, like you said, we've got all these laws on the books, and if they really wanted to, they could pin you for something. It, yeah. It's just, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know... I don't know if we can ever avoid it completely, but um, that's what scares me about the whole red flag situation. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point. You know, I am very concerned or immediately, um, you know, the idea that reality is, is, is somebody else's opinion becomes yeah. reality is a very slippery slope. And right. I hate to say this, but it seems like society's jumping on that one yeah. um, pretty hard. But I don't understand how one person's pr definition and experience of sensitivity and what they consider scary should somehow impede my my freedom. Right. Um, so I I think that um, I think that's a terrible terrible precedent to to allow somebody else's reality, false reality, to be imposed on again law abiding people. Yeah. Um, you know, where you're you're getting close to something that that um that is kind of the heart of the issue and i think that the whoever wrote the law trying to understand i always try to understand how people think and why they said what they did right i think they're probably concerned about people that um ptsd yeah that come back from a combat situation where they serve their country well yeah. or put in some terrible situations and they're higher prone to depression and suicide yeah. that's a fact yeah um and we know some very good people personally that you know, they didn't, they weren't able to cope yeah. um, with that. And we would do anything we could to protect them. Yeah. Um, you know, with saying that though, does that mean we take our, our freedoms away and lock people in bubbles? No. no, we can't do that. So I think we do need better mental health care. Um, and we do need to do a better job for our veterans to serve the country. I don't think you take the rights away. No. I think that's awful. And also don't think we, we do not need to have our society go to the lowest common denominator, mm -hmm. which is means that old cat lady next door that's freaked out by everything yeah shouldn't determine what's right. safe and not safe so Absolutely. um and when it boils when it boils down to it i mean it's all about this is a, all these firearms all these all these guns that we have that they're they're tools you know they're not weapons of they're not assault weapons they're tools no. um you you said mental illness or mental health it all boils down every single case of any mass shooting, anything terrible that's ever happened involving not just guns, which just came out, studies came out that two times more people were killed with knives last year than firearms yeah. totally. That's yeah. pistols and rifles. Yeah. Um, it all boils down to mental health. Like, mm -hmm. you can attack firearms all you want to, but it all boils down to mental health. And mental health, a lot of times, is socialization. It's people growing up in broken homes without values and principles. It's people living in crime-ridden areas without opportunity. And every time you look that creates those environments, yeah. it's the environment where there's, there's, I mean, no offense, but there is not opportunity, there's not freedom. Right. And, um, you know, if you look at people that have chance to experience life in its wonderful variety, yeah. have been outdoors hunting and shooting, people that have read right. and studied, and people that are, um, you know, been filled with virtue and, and goodness yeah. by using our, you know, our our founders as examples and other great men and women that did great things as examples. Those are people that that be, they end up being strong characters yeah. and capable people. But when you create societies where you teach people to be dependent, mm -hmm. that they are victims, yep. that they can't be successful, yep. they're not good enough, they need government help, yep. that everything that America stands for is bad and yep. evil and that everything that anybody ever accomplished that was good, yep. they had help getting it, yep. they didn't deserve it, yep. they were born to it. Yep. You're, you're sowing the seeds of formula of failure. Yep. And if you wanna make mental health problems 
that's your formula. Yep. So I would say that if you are a part of the solution, you turn that around. Yep. You give opportunity and freedom and you create strong people with character and that's how you build the country. And that's how you stop the crime problems and the, and the mental illness problems. I couldn't agree more. You know, like and, and those people that went out and did served and, and end up suffering unimaginable horrors. Yep. Let's help them. Right. You know, they did the work, they did everything they could. We need to take care of them. Yep. So, um, so long story short, um, it's all our responsibility to create those environments, starting with our own families yep. and our friends and yep. family and get them out um, and live a good life. Be a yep. principled person, teach them the right things, teach them right from wrong, teach them gun safety. Absolutely. At the end of the day, if you really want a better future, we got to we got to create these opportunities in a small way. Again, I know this is a Sightmark podcast and we're trying to talk about the, you know, you know, what we try to do for that. Yeah. One of the things that really, if we could just help that just a little bit, you know, by providing some tools that make people more accurate, have more fun faster. Right. And that becomes a passion for them. Then we're successful. Sightmark yep. was created to have people enjoy the shooting sports. Yep. And, you know, I really hope there's people out there that are listening to this, that they have all these stories about, um, you know, the first time they shot, if they shoot with sight mark, they'd be great. Right. If the first time they hit a, a hundred yards or a mile, they shot with a sight mark. The first time they took a deer with their son. Yeah. I mean, that's the stories, man. Right. That's why we do what we do. You know, we believe in a strong free country. Yeah. And honestly, I don't want to live here if it's not. Right. So I'm staying, we're doing everything we can to try to make yep. this a better place. And there's a lot of great people yep. in sight mark and our friends and dealers and supporters you know, God bless them. Cause they really are on the front lines of trying to keep this country safe. Sure. Uh, I know you got a busy day, so yeah. I won't keep you too much longer. I am going to circle back around to, um, just getting your kids involved at an early age guys. One of the things that with the industry con con continually growing digital optics is now overtaking everything. I mean, they're becoming wildly popular site marks, um, digital optics, whether it's a red dot site or even our, our digital night vision, uh, through our Wraith line. One of the things that is so great about those <laughs> is they have the ability to actually record. So you can take your young kid out on his first hunt and record that and have that memory forever to share with family or for him to look yeah. back on later. Uh, you talk about just completely changing the industry in a good way and it should get more people more excited more involved in the industry and i'll yeah. just i'll just leave it at that yeah um, no i appreciate that thank you for i mean again we have a great team yeah and um you know just because i think right now we're, we have the best red dot on, on the market the best foresight markets the best rifle scopes we're not going to stop yeah and we see a tremendous opportunity to take the digital technology and mm -hmm. bring it into the modern farm through optics yeah and the wraith is such an extraordinary product and we have you know a lot to offer um again that's one of those things if people haven't seen mm -hmm. and what the wraith really is 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 the best digital day and night scope for the money you can on the planet yep and it was designed to be the scope everybody's scope right they can use it for range they can use it for hunting they can record sure um you know they can help train their kids with you know all that so it's really a great product yeah and i think it's taking that next level because as hunting opportunities become more and more difficult for the big game, yeah. we have plenty of opportunities to go hog hunting. Yeah. So um, in no better time to hunt hogs than at night. So yeah, you absolutely. have a day and night option. So it's really a lot of fun. Yep. Guys, James Sellers <laughs> with Sightmark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks a lot.